heaven? No. It's Iowa. Look. Look, we depend on listeners here for our very lives. Close down the podcast. We're finished. Ben, the podcast is over. You're the host of Podcast City. These people think you want the podcast live. I was acting in the podcast's best interest. I, I, I thought I was acting in the pod's best interest. That's right. You were acting in the podcast's best interest. That's why you're going to do the right thing. You're going to sign this, and you're going to pay a guest to be on the podcast. Eric. Eric. My kids listen to this podcast, too. Eee! Y'all know me? Know how I earn a living? I'll do this podcast for you, but it ain't going to be easy, bad pod. Not like going down the pond and chasing bluegills or tummy cuds. This pot will swallow you all. A little chicken, a little tender raisin, and down you go. And we got to do it quick, and that'll bring back your listeners, all your businesses on paying basis. But it's not going to be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3000 bucks, chief. Uh, thank you very much. We'll take it under advisement. We're not talking about pleasure boating or day sailing. We're talking about working for a living. We're talking about podcasting. We're talking about Jaws and the Pot of Dreams. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. dealing with here is a perfect engine uh an eating machine we're not only going to have to close the beach we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark bad fish but i'll catch him and kill him did you hear your father out of the water now this shark swallow you whole you're going to need a bigger boat all right welcome to the pot of dreams uh we have a super special guest joe botten He's a movie blogger, banana meter approved critic, a Minnesota movie man. Joe, thank you for joining. How are you doing? I'm doing well tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're super stoked to talk Jaws. Um, if you want, take a second kind of talk about your, your blogging. I saw that it looks like you've been writing reviews for a long time. Um, you know, Just feel free to talk about that, your process, how that works. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking back too. I, I've been writing the, the blog since 2012. It's it's been, um, and I've really been writing since like elementary school. I think I try to turn every like book report somehow into a movie review sure. over time. Um, I, I try to uh, weasel my way into making everything like a somehow tied back to movies because I've been obsessed with movies since I was very young, as as many of us are. Um, so it's been the writing the writing process has been a, a long long time. Um, uh, I've been been working on it for a long time, um, but I really started in 2012 after. You know, I've been sort of like writing little mini reviews on Facebook for a while. Every time I'd see a movie and people would sure. say, you know, you should 
you know, turn it into a blog because at that point, everyone had a blog. So I just decided to, to name it the Minnesota Movie Man and just started putting them uh, to, to, to print. And it's kind of expanded ever since then um, as I've gotten on press lists over time and sort of expanded it from just those um, you know, I would say the commercial releases into more of the independent studios, into film fests. I think ever since the pandemic hit, it's allowed me more opportunities to, I think, delve into this, the smaller films and um, like the, the, the ones that you may just see that go straight to streaming or um, straight to, you know, the Redbox or straight to uh, Netflix. Um, uh, that's really allowed me to expand it, spend my I think portfolio past the just the movies that you'd see over your AMC. So, um, and I just uh, I love old movies as well. So I, I try to get back and watch as many as I, I possibly can. And if you look at my website, there's a whole list of movies that I watch every year. It's embarrassingly long every year. So um, um, most people will see you know see maybe a few dozen movies a year. I see several hundred. Um, I do have a life other <laughs> outside of that. Um, but it's just it's fun. It's fun to talk movies. I try to like everything I see at some point and try to find something positive in every one of them and sure. and that's really what i think my my reviews are trying to get at is that they're non-spoilery i try not to spoil anything for people and i try to make it a conversation and you know if we were just sitting talking like we're doing now what would we talk about what would you want to hear from someone who's just saw the movie and what would you want to talk about without telling you everything about about the movie so let you experience it for yourself but also not totally turn you off from seeing it is what i would say so do you review every movie you see, Joe? I would see everything that I um, accept as a screener. I would I would review. Um, if I would just be casually watching it, maybe not, unless it was for a special assignment. Like in every October, I do a 31 Days to Scare, so I review sure. a horror movie every single day of the month. Um, those I sort of pick myself, and I would review them, but um, not every single one I review, unless they're special. Sure. Um, everything I, if someone sends me a screener and I say I'll review it, then I, I feel an obligation to do it. So I have to be careful of how many I say yes to, for sure. Oh, sure. Okay, how many screeners do you get like a week? Um, I've, I've been really good about saying no lately. Um, it could be anywhere from uh, three to four a week. Okay. Um, at the busiest times, it's like seven to eight. Oh, wow. Okay. So, those, those can be weeks out in advance, too. So I have to meter them, too. So I know on your site you talked about how, like, you wanted to make sure to be respectful at press screenings. And it just kind of got me thinking, like, I have no idea what that – like, what is a press screening? Like, Is it like going to a movie? Do you get popcorn and you just sit enjoying it? Or are you taking notes? Like, what, what is that? a lot more uptight and yeah. I've got to take this seriously. Right. I can't just relax and enjoy this. I have to think deep thoughts about this. Yeah. yeah what is that like? Sure. Well, there are a few different, I think, press opportunities to see movies. There are the press sometimes get mixed in with the maybe the public advanced screenings is what I would say, like the ones that are, you know, during the week at like seven or seven thirty that people other people would, would wait in line for. You know, if you have ever gone to one of these, um, have you ever been to to I have like a sneak peek or sneak preview where yeah. it'll come out on like a Tuesday night at seven. I actually and the saw fans go. Yeah. I saw the island. Do you remember the island movie, the Michael Bay? Oh, yeah. Yep, and, and there was like no sound in parts of it. So I've I've been to those like where they haven't like finished the movie yet, but sure. like it wasn't like a, a press screening. It was just a bunch of rubes got a free ticket basically. Sure. So like like even like a, an advanced, um, you so you really were a test audience more than anything else than a preview screening too. So that's they, really they took our cell phones. I remember. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's really that's that's a really good opportunity too to to see um things in advance. And I've done that too. We can talk about that later if you want. But um the but, the press screening too is when, you know, it's usually maybe a week or two, sometimes more before the movie comes out, but it's, um, you know, audiences that have maybe gotten a free ticket from the radio or from the newspaper or some other place will have gotten there early, a couple hours early. Sometimes they bring a chair and they will set it out like a folding chair, and eat, eat their dinner in line and we'll wait and see the movie. And uh, as the press, we're very fortunate, I would say, is that there's a pre there's a seat waiting for us so we can show up 10 to 15 minutes before the movie and the seats there for us it's, we're very fortunate to be able to do that so then we show up and we watch the movie and 
you know, we sometimes have to fill out a card right away at the end of the movie and say what we think about it uh, to give them our general reaction. Then there are the press screenings that are during the day, maybe a week or, you know, maybe a couple weeks earlier um, or a month uh, for these movies that will screen in the evenings that are uh, considered maybe a little bit more advanced screenings um, that the studio sponsor just to make sure that we get to see them earlier and maybe before the, if they're not going to have a public screening for the movies. So the, a lot of the Marvel movies do that and a lot of Disney movies do that. Sure. Okay. I guess both Disney these days. Um, no, I, I, did, I did once got tickets to advanced screening of where the Millers at a, as a drawing in a head shop in Minneapolis. Yeah. I didn't end up going. The timing didn't work out. I just put it in. I, I might've been the only person that put my name in the box. I don't think it was very popular, but I didn't yeah. end up ever seeing it. But yeah, I told my story about the Island. There was also a part in the movie where it was like, isn't you McGregor in that? Yeah, I think he is. And he was like going to punch. I think it's Sean Bean as the bad guy. And he was like, welcome to the island. And he punched him. And it was one of the dumbest things I've seen in a movie. Everybody laughed. And I don't <laughs> think it's in the final cut. So it was like one of those things that it, it made the movie entertaining because it's so stupid. But right. um, they must have been like, no, nah, people are laughing too, too much. They're not supposed to be laughing. They're supposed to be gasping. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's supposed to be a cool, right. cool end of the movie. Well, we saw Australia when it was at the um, before, like a, the, we were the first audience to see Australia before it was finished. If any, do, do, um, the the Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman movie, right? I've never the, seen it. Nicole Kidman's in it too, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and Baz Luhrmann was actually there for it, um, and oh, he wow. was sitting across the aisle from me. I remember this very vividly. Sure. And he was sitting there watching us watching the movie, but there were it was it wasn't finished, so the music wasn't done. They used the music for Gone with the Wind for <laughs> wow. it, um, all of the music in it. <laughs> And they didn't have the special effects done. So it was just these like when it was it was a lot about cattle. So anytime <laughs> the cattle were in it, there was just these boxes, like a, like a child would draw a box with the head of a cattle, like the, the cow, just like walking around um, like Nicole Kidman, it, like an animated thing, like computer animated wasn't done. It was very weird and everyone would laugh. And so it was supposed to be this big romantic movie, but people were constantly laughing at it. And I think he kept getting mad at it um, as, for laughing. But then I saw the movie when it came out and it was totally different. Like the ending was totally different and everything. So it was just, a, that's another interesting uh, experience. Uh, that was before I was on any press list or anything like that. Is this it was in Minnesota regular. somewhere? Yeah, it was at the Mall of America. Oh, wow. Okay. I remember. So one last bit about your your reviews. Has it changed over time, like how you do it? Because I did read, like, I, I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, and I read your review, and it, it didn't spoil it. And I thought there's no way, because, you know, not, most film reviews, like, basically tell you everything that happens in the movie. And I, I just found that so, so like, refreshing that I could read a review and be interested and learn about the movie and why I would want to see it, but also not not have the entire thing spoiled for me. So has, the, has it changed over time? Have you always written that way? I think so. I think that it's a very much like a, I adopt like the structure of kind of introductory paragraph, um, maybe a little bit about like the production of the movie or history, you know, just maybe one, one to one and a half paragraphs about plot and then a summary and that's it sort of. I try to keep it short if I can, I sometimes get a little long, oh, but I get that. really keep it brief, you know, and, and the less you talk about the actual plot, the more you have the time to talk about the actual movie about it. Um, so I think that's evolved over time. I think my what's a, what's gotten more is, I think, my analysis of a, of a film and being able to critique it with actually being a critic and not being maybe, like I said, I like being nice, but also being fair too like mm -hmm. i think that, that that's been hard for me because i don't like being mean but sometimes a movie's kind of it's got problems great and you don't want to people can't see everything so you need to make sure that they can know why something gets a two out of ten rather than a ten, five out of ten let's say sure yeah that makes sense i a long ago long long ago i had a wordpress blog where i was writing movie reviews and i didn't bother trying to not do spoilers and that was yeah <laughs> nobody read it uh, that was more because I was just putting my thoughts out there and I, I, I felt the need to articulate everything about my feelings. But I think it's much better to do it that way because people are reading your reviews to decide, hey, am I going to watch this? What does Joe think? Oh, this is interesting. Okay, I think this sounds like my kind of movie. Or maybe it sounds good, but not my cup of tea because this is kind of the vibe and not right. my scene, which is fine. Not every movie is for everybody either, which is totally fine. Um, so, yes, I, that is impressive. 
sorry for interrupting, but I mean, yeah. I love going back after I've seen the movie, going back and reading a blog like yours would have been and saying, oh, for someone who's seen the movie, now I can actually dissect what, what they thought about it, all the right. plot points. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I think if you know what blog you're getting into, that's great. It's the people that don't say that it's a spoiler. That's when it, you can kind of read and go, whoa, 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 you, you spoiled it for me. That's that's kind of hard. But um, sure. I think I, I, I love I love kind of all, all of it. I do try to keep my keep away from reading reviews until I've seen something, um, which is hard nowadays because everyone on Twitter, you know, oh, yeah. their opinion the moment they see something. So. That's that's so difficult because you want to try to give your opinion without being shaped by everybody said it was so amazing because that can go in your head when you walk into a movie and you're like, my God, I didn't have as positive reactions. So then you feel negative about it. And right. like, was it everybody says it's terrible? You're like, it wasn't that bad. I don't know what the deal. Had some, some fun. That, oh. Yeah, that's that's super right. difficult to do. That's so I admire that as well because like. I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick and I want to see it, but you look at Twitter, it's impossible not to encounter how much everybody loves it. It's just like impossible to do. You know, right. You don't want to feed into that high bar because I want, you know, I, I want people to come, come at it at their own, but I also don't want to like feed that high expectation bar either. I want you to just, I want you to just go to it. Right. I want you, right. you know, I want you to just go to the movies. And if you see Top Gun, great. If you see Downton Abbey, great. Just sure. go to the movies and, and have a great time no matter what you're doing. I'm with you. Okay. Well, speaking of going to the movies and having a great time, uh, Jaws. So yep. uh, I reached out to Joe. I asked him to join the pod. Said, pick any movie you want, and you pick Jaws. Why did you pick Jaws for this week's episode? Well, you know, I tried. I really tried to think of something different. Um, only because, first of all, this is my first podcast I've ever done. So thank you very much for having me. Oh my uh, God, honored. you're doing wow. doing great. Yeah, thank you for joining. And can we say a side note? We're, we're probably going to spoil Jaws. The movie's 47 years old. So if you really don't want Jaws spoiled, maybe don't listen. Save it and listen later. Sorry, just just to, in in honor of Joe, I want to make sure people know that. Well, great, great, great job. Um, and so I thought of, you know, I tried to think of something different, but, you know, I think for my first podcast, I just figured I would t- speak about a movie that I just really love. I know I've seen probably more than any movie I've ever seen. I mean, ever. So I think um, it's just for me, it's just something that's for it being what it is. It's just a comfort movie to me. Um, I, it's a, a movie that I can you know remember um, seeing for the first time. I can remember a lot of the t- memories of seeing it with friends and family and it being such a thing in my household over the years um, that it's just something that's a, a, it's a comfort for me to, to share and to, to talk about with people. And, and I find also that lately I've been talking to people and they go, I've never seen Jaws. And they go, how can you possibly not have right. seen Jaws after all these years? Uh, so, and also since it's also coming up on its anniversary too, I figured it would be a, um, a good movie to talk about. Well, I am delighted to do When we have guests on, they usually pick a movie they're really passionate about because it's way more fun to talk about it. Um, but I'm going to hop right on the hype train uh, and Jaws is incredible. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Not as many as you probably, Joe, but I've seen it a lot. And I uh, don't want to spoil, well, I'm going to spoil the, this is a, a, the perfect sea creature attacking people movie, and we could live 500,000 years, and there will never be another one as as good as it. I'm just going to just go ahead and say it's perfect. It will never happen again. It's just magnificent on every level. Um, that's my my short magnificent on every level. That's my review. Eric, you're wearing a Jaws shirt. <laughs> you see, Ben's got city hands. He's been counting money his whole life. <laughs> Yes, no. Uh, <laughs> is that the Lucky Charms guy? Did he show Who drives the boat, Chief? Lucky Charms? No. Uh, after I, me, Lucky Charms. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as Joe. I, I, I've seen this movie more than any movie ever. I saw it probably at five years old, way too young to yeah, see this young. movie. Um, it, it's, it, it, is it the most entertaining film ever made? It might be. I don't know if it's the greatest movie. But it is – there is not a dull it's moment. It, it's it, perfect. Yeah. In terms of, you know, a monster movie, horror, action, adventure, it, it really has everything that I could ever want in a film. And I was so I, – I, I watch it every year. Watch it again this year. I'll probably watch it another time this year. Uh, it's the perfect 4th of July movie. We're, hopefully we're dropping this pod right around the 4th. Happy 4th if you're listening to this then. Perfect summer movie. Yeah, it, it was uh, just such a joy to watch. Everything about it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you've, you've said it. You both said it like perfectly. You're taking the words out of my mouth. We'll, we'll continue to say it. It's just, um, 
it's there's just for me when i when people say well why do you like it so much when when they'll always say you know because they'll say what is your favorite movie and i used to be really sheepish and go jaws no i'm like no jaws because it is a perfect movie it's every genre of movie really that you can think of somehow wrapped into one and it's it works every single time you see it even the times even if you know it's coming the scares are there the laughs are there um the the good performances are there they hold up and it it just it, it works like a charm and it's few movies can really accomplish that over time um and I, i'm always kind of baffled really that i watch it and they go wow it really does work and showing it to new people especially like my in-laws like i was talking about earlier we just showed it to them last year for the first time and they jumped out of their seats so high um i felt bad about it because i could have told them it was coming but you know they're in their 80s and they just totally lost their minds for the movie um but um it just works and i, and I love watching it so i'm glad to talk about it today too yeah I, I i had a jump scare in this i mean i've seen this enough time to know everything that's coming but the the dead body in the boat when hooper's pulling the shot every time me. every time i, I jumped yeah. i jumped Scared my cat half to death, too, with how much I jumped. It was just, like, I know, didn't matter, I know. And even, and there, there's so many reasons why it's great. And it, it, it and it's just, they're not going to ever be able to recreate. This is why movies are wonderful sometimes, because there's so many reasons why it's great. Um, but some of them aren't even, and Steven Spielberg's obviously a great director, but there's so many reasons why this movie's great that he's never going to be able to re replicate. And some of it was like a happy accident. Only a young, crazed 70s movie director would try to shoot a movie in the Atlantic Ocean. You just would never do that. It's too insane and expensive and ridiculous. But it's such a big part of why this movie works great. And because he didn't have the budget and it was too difficult, he had to show the shark just the right amount of times. We don't see the shark which is not much, too much. Which is not much. No, but when you see it, it's so effective. The first time you see it, when there's that guy in that little, they call it the pond, right? Yep. We just see it like well, kind of sideways. The, ki the Kittner boy, that's the first time you get any kind of little glimpse of it. And that, I think, is the scariest part of the entire movie is when the Kittner boy gets eaten. Because you don't really know what you're looking at. There's like fins kind of flipping around. And right. then you just see blood bubbling up. But you see some image and it cuts away super quick. Probably like you're saying, because they the machine didn't work right or whatever. you know. Right. So that's you barely see barrels. it. That's why yeah. they used the barrels, because they couldn't show the shark a bunch. It's too expensive. Right. But the part that scares me the most when you first see the shark, you see it's face just underwater it's like halfway up and it just it freaks me out I, i'm definitely one of those people that doesn't like open water i i don't want to be on the ocean give me minnesota lakes cool i love swimming but keep me away from salt water and big scary ancient creatures freaks me out um but I, yeah it's just perfect sorry i this is just going to be us gushing about jaws well, i had a question for joe it has because i i watching it this time there were things i noticed or like really cued in on has any of that over the years watching it is there something like you noticed or or realized or or appreciated more like on the 10th or 11th viewing well i think for me since you know i i first started watching it on vhs uh though it's you know the the, the box cover is what kind of fascinated me when i was young looking around the video store you know this big shark on this on this vhs cover and that's how i kind of wheedled my parents into finally letting me see it um so this bad copy vhs and you know pan and scan you couldn't really see anything it was terrible quality but over time that scene where um the two fishermen are trying to catch the shark at night with their um that, that one guy's uh um, wife's Sunday roast yes. um, over time, you know, it's uh, it was so dark all those times on VHS and then on DVD or the, sorry, VHS, then widescreen VHS and then DVD and then the collector's edition DVD and then Blu-ray and now 4k and all this other jazz, just how much clearer that's gotten and how really masterfully done again, that, that is, um, uh, it has really the details in that scene and how well staged it is. It's it's I think shows what Steven Spielberg will eventually kind of go on to do in his other films. Um, these kind of um, elaborate uh, scenes of um, kind of um, I don't know, kind of uh, they're, they're kind of zany in a way. It's a kind of a zany scene that 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 turns scary after a while. And there's a little comic um, undertone. 
Um, right, exactly. Um, it, it, so that's the part of the movie that's that's both scary and funny, but uh, and it kind of also shows what Steven Spielberg will will eventually get to. And so I think as a as a movie critic, I've gotten to appreciate that a lot more because back in the day, I was like, we don't even see the shark, and so I, you know, I would kind of be bored with that. But I learned to appreciate that, and I think I've learned to appreciate the um, the performances uh, over over time because they those have really come into focus over over the years because when you're young you're looking for like the scares but right, it's yeah, the real like the the stuff on the orca the stuff with the men talking and um oh, how the, that develops it's just it's yeah. just fascinating to watch i think yeah well, I'm with you. it's perfectly cast i just like every person every role is perfectly cast right. you're asking about things I, I saw something that i had never really noticed before which is the mom um you know lorraine gary's character she's okay with the boys being in the little boat that's attached to the dock that's his birthday gift she kind of thinks you know Chief's overreacting. And then she looks at the book and she sees a picture of a shark chomping out of a boat. And she's like, listen to your father, get out. Yeah. Just instantly. I'd never noticed that mo- moment before. Um, I right. don't know if I've seen this since I became a parent. I was like, oh, okay. I see that she saw that and she changed her mind. She's not freaked out about the shark. And right. there's probably a bunch of those little ones. What about you, Eric? Do you have any of those little moments where well, you're like, oh, I've never noticed this before? Just kind of, you know, jumping on what Joe said at the performances, the 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 Quint Hooper stuff is like I mean, I could just watch that on a repeat, just their interactions, because so you have Robert Shaw, this like giant figure in cinema cinema, and you have Richard Dreyfuss, this young guy who was he was only in one other movie, right? American Graffiti, maybe like. And there's but, another one before that. So okay. I was, I was doing Wikipedia just research starting his career, right? Robert Shaw didn't like how much attention Richard Dreyfuss right. was getting. As and a you young can tell, college. but you can tell that in in not only their characters because there's the city city college boy stuff, and then there's this you know working class hero stuff, and they're they're kind of there's this push and pull, and then they start to kind of like each other, and you know there's obviously the scar scene where you know we'll drink to your leg, that was all right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they they do start to appreciate like you could even see Quint start to say like, all right, this guy, he can tie the knot. He knows his stuff. He keeps testing him. And I I just I love that that their interaction. Then you have Brody, who's this like fish out of water, like almost literally he's this cop from Brooklyn or the Bronx or wherever. And and he just like is totally in in a world that he doesn't understand. And it's just those three guys, because it is kind of like two movies. There's the. Stuff on the island, which is like the pol- – I love the politics stuff with the mayor. And then there's them hunting the shark. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this this time around, that was the stuff just – I just smiled every time those two guys are on scene. Or even when they're doing the scar scene, how they're all – the um, uh, Quint and um, – Oh my gosh, Hooper are, are comparing scars and then it shows Brody and he's like, he, he really doesn't know how to participate. So he kind of looks down, he kind of lifts up his shirt and he's showing his appendectomy, appendectomy scar. Right. Yes. So like vanilla and he's like, uh, um, then he just nah. decides not to talk about it. Yeah. It's just so like perfectly him. And it's just such one of those little small moments that, um, you know, what, what horror movie stops and like has that moment, but that it's a movie in the mid seventies only that movie would kind of stop and kind of have that moment. We, we wouldn't pause for that nowadays. Um, and that's just kind of indicative of that kind of era of oh, yeah. filmmaking. And they're but, all realized characters. Almost totally. everybody's realized the boy, the whatever the, the boy that I can't remember his name. I mean, we see this little moment that ends up mattering where she's like, your hands are pruning up. And he says, just 10 more minutes. And, you know, when you first see, you don't realize that little choice Cost mm-hmm. the boy's life. Yeah, he's 10 more minutes, mom. Come on. Yeah. And you see that and you get that little moment, that little human moment. And then she gets her moment to confront the chief later on. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Even now, even though the mayor is kind of a villain, it even takes his side seriously. He's not cartoonish. He has some good points. Closing the beach is a problem. Now, I find myself saying, hey, you got everybody there for Fourth of July weekend. What do you care if they go in the water or not? They'll still pay to eat at the restaurants and at your hotels. So maybe don't encourage people to go into the water. But I thought a little more like, yeah, okay, this town, you'll be on welfare all winter. You know, it's it's Mm -hmm. not just cartoonishly capitalistic. Well, and then Uh, even the scene where after the the kid, the guy gets killed in the pond, where the the mayor is like, okay, I'll sign the thing. He he goes to Brody and he's like, my son was there too. Like he's right. he's obviously like, oh oh shit, my kid have could have been the one that got eaten, you know. And there's the real emotion there. Yeah, and he's not just some cartoonish villain. He's he's the mayor, and yeah, he's doing his job. And maybe he's yeah, I mean he took the wrong 
wrong route. He should have closed you know, the damn big guy lie. I mean, he, yeah, he made the yeah. wrong call, but. Um, which is it, which is interesting, you know, that, you know, it's kind of a message about politicians only taking action when it actually hits home oh, yeah. to, to them. Um, but um, it, it's just, it's, it's an interesting, again, it's interesting dynamics that it plays with the town, because if you follow, there's a lot of townspeople that you follow from the beach when the Kittner boy gets killed through the whole process of, you know, the, the beaches being closed and them kind of wanting the safety, but then also wanting to keep their businesses afloat. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on and, and that stuff's in the book, but it's, it's a lot more dense and that takes up a lot more time in the book that, that is frankly a little bit more um, obtuse, I think. And they're, they're wise to cut all that stuff out to, to make the movie love a lot more streamlined, I think. Um, so oh, it, yeah. it works like it just, it just lightly touches on that town kind of being a little bit responsible and culpable for some of those deaths. But at the same time, how would they ever think that a giant man eating shark would really pose that much trouble? I mean, it, it does seem incredible really. So. Yeah. It's um, never happened. They talk about, you know, there's never been a shark attack in these waters, you know, right. and, but that's the thing. You talk about cutting. I mean, this is one of the things that Spielberg does so well. He's so efficient mm-hmm. all the time. When we first are meeting the characters and you just see the chief going through town and everybody needs him for some little, essentially non-crisis. You can put it in context with what happens later in the movie. Like a bunch of little silly things and it's busy. Kids and are karate chopping the and one guy's fence. Yes. Yeah. And he's like just total non-problems yeah. and he's just surrounded and swarmed by people all the time who need him for little stuff and don't actually respect him. And it does all this just fantastic building of the town and the culture. It feels so real. I mean, it's, I forgot I was watching a movie at times. It's that wonderful feeling where you're like, it really does feel like I'm in a town with people who aren't actors. I'm not seeing a movie. I I am with these people having, it's just, it's a wonderful sensation. And it's definitely a thing more in adulthood, loving that buildup, loving all the acting. And the acting is crucial to making a lot of the tension and the scares work too because they do such a good job and we care about them so much, they convey a lot of that horror intention early on and it works super well. I mean, Richard Dreyfuss, he's a big scaredy cat. I mean, we see him twice now get scared out and in ways that are problematic. He doesn't, he doesn't get the tooth. Um, he doesn't stab the shark because he gets so overwhelmed by seeing it. I mean, it's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just, I love every second of it. And, and the fact that it's also quite timeless when you really do step back and take a look at it, there's not a lot of, not a lot of technology in it. A lot of it's really to do with sort of like manual, like hand yeah. labor. So it right. doesn't rely on, you know, you're not watching it going, Oh, that phone doesn't look really right. It's all is very relatable. Like, Hey, you know, when we go on a summer vacation somewhere, sometimes we go to a cabin that looks very much like the Brody's house. So right. when you go to the beach, this could be a place we go visit this summer maybe we don't want to go swimming in the beaches. So it, it does retain a lot of that um, timelessness when you watch it, to that, which makes it scary still. Oh, yeah. Well, and well it's insane. CGI shark wouldn't work. It would look so terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... Right. But this movie's almost 50 years old. I mean, that's right. the thing. I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, my God. It was like, this is what, you know, what a Spielberg's, like, mid-tier movie. like, no, this is, like, his first big movie, and this movie's almost 50 years old. It, you're right. It just is so timeless. And doesn't it just shock you that that it's almost 50 years old and they can't make any shark movie look remotely good like since then? I mean, I know that no, they it, can't. With, with budgets like five times as much as they had here, they can't make one shark movie look anywhere near as good. It, it's crazy almost without the technology we have. I'm glad because then they would start wanting to remake this movie, which don't, I, I won't I won't allow it. But it's just crazy <laughs> that with all the technology, technological advances we have, they've they can't they can't even get near to what we what they what Bob Elves and all those people did with the um sorry Joe Elves and uh, Robert Maddy did with the, the the creation of the shark. So well, it's the the technology is counterproductive. The fact that it's a mechanical and almost looks like a doll. I mean, you know, the Robert mm-hmm. Shaw line. It's got elves. That's part of the thing. The sharks Nose don't eyes. look real. They look yeah. kind of unalive. Which makes the puppet mechanical, whatever, you know, contraption that they use to make the shark makes it look that much better. It just aged wonderfully. Right. You just couldn't ever do it any other way. And I think, I mean, Spielberg couldn't have ever made this movie again. Even if he had tried, mm-hmm. even if he did one of the many Jaws sequels, he would yeah. never have been really a movie anywhere near this good. I mean, it was just, it was, he was great and maybe only he could have done it, but even he couldn't replicate it. it was, it's just, it's just like magic. So yeah. it will never get matched, let alone topped. It's, it's yep. incredible. So I had I had a thought to show my kids. My kids are eight years old. They're soon to be nine. I have twins. 
And I was like, I mean, they could watch Jaws, right? They, you know, no big deal. I saw it when I was their their age, so I wa- started watching it. And immediately, the scene where the woman is is naked, completely naked, sw- which I, I I had watched this movie on v- taped VHS where all that stuff was edited out. So I, I I have probably only seen this like the actual version. I don't know five six times. I I forgot that she was completely naked, a nude woman, which is shocking for a PG movie. And then, like like I mentioned earlier, the Kittner boy gets eaten, and I'm like, I can't show my kids this movie ever. Like, this movie is terrifying. They will never want to go swimming again. And the fact that it's PG is insane, because it's a really scary movie. That was the other piece that jumped out of me watching this again. How terrifying it is. At the time, so it was either R or PG. This should be a rated R. There's blood, guts, a naked woman. Mm -hmm. It should be a rated R movie. Okay. No, I mean... Really, I mean, really, it is quite like violent and quite scary. Like that, that opening scene when she's also just, just her above the water. That scene is is very frightening and very um. It's, it's just it's scary because she's you know she's calling out to God and all this stuff. It's it's very disturbing, I would say too. Um, but and it's also she, very very real. She has know? a moment where she's hanging on the buoy and she's safe for a second, and you're like, okay, you can breathe. And then it drags her back under. Yeah, it, it's it's really affecting. It's like a horror yeah. scary opening sequence. But again, you're right. The the whole nakedness again. Going back to the the in laws thing. I I talked up this movie for so long, and they wanted to watch it, and they're very um. I would say um, like religious people. And so sure. when we were watching it and I'm sitting next to them and the first shot is of this naked woman and I just am going like, Oh no, they're, <laughs> they're just going to, they're going to never ever forgive me for this. Um, but luckily it just sort of it passed quickly, but um, it, it didn't start out too well. <laughs> so yeah, in my mind, this is like a family movie. It is not right. a family no, movie. No, I, I guess I didn't have that. But in your undercurrent of course, sort of comedy point, like in that opening scene, we have the, the guy chasing the, 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 woman to the beach and he's too drunk to get his clothes off yeah. and he just passes out on the beach it ends up saving his life potentially um it, but it's goofy like that could be a comedy scene like straight up but it just quickly turns to terror he's like i'm not that drunk i'm not that drunk he's just like falls asleep on the beach mm-hmm. um it's it, it works though it could easily have tanked it but it just blends perfectly because it's just people living life and then this crazy shark situation happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love those books too. I, I mentioned them earlier, but I, it, it, this really feels like a Megalodon. It's not really a Megalodon, but there's almost like something primordial about the sharks, something ancient and prehistoric and like primate brains just freak out about this ancient predator. Um, mm-hmm. Those maybe. are good books too. So, okay. All right. Wanted to one quick sh- John Williams, right? The, the, that's the other part of this movie. Like I, the music, the dun. I mean, it is so. It's probably the most famous score ever. Maybe I don't know. It's that's hard tough. to say. Pick, a, pick any of John Williams' scores, right. and you could argue it's he's on this. You know, he's the, the Mount Rushmore is him. All four and pictures. He's still doing it somehow. But it's so incredible, and it's a, it's affecting. It works perfectly with the movie. It's just mind blowing that all that came together in one film. It's wild. Right. It's like, you know, it's the it's the three men, the shark, and then John Williams is like the fifth character in in the in the movie. And and it, it you know, Jaws the score of Jaws is great and I know uh he came back and did the score for Jaws too as well. And I actually like that score a little bit better. I think it's uh, it's a little bit um fuller uh, and has a little bit more like like a a larger scale to it, I think. So I mean the score of Jaws is again you know peerless. But I think Jaws 2 has a little bit more liveliness to it, too. So I think I like I like listening to them both together is what I would say. Just like I wa- kind of like watching the two movies together, too. I like Jaws 2. I've only well. ever seen the first Jaws. So. You've never seen Jaws 2? I, I really? like it. No, I, 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 there's no movie. I mean, it's, to me, I've seen Jaws. I've seen the perfect yeah. shark movie. Whatever movie I see is just going to be a, a version the, of that that's just not as good. The second best shark movie is Jaws 2. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Um. And so here's where I, I, how many sequels did they direct sequels? Did they make to justice? There are three sequels. Three. three. Okay. And is it like, so you're, you're saying the second one's still pretty good. Obviously it's not as amazing as the original, mm-hmm. but you think it's still pretty entertaining. How yes. do they get the shark back in? I just, without spoiling it. No why, explanation. Just, there's no explanation. There's just another shark. Yeah. This is just like Die Hard 2. There's just another yeah. terrorist situation with John McClane. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, yeah, like in, in in all the vast oceans, how could there be only one? That's I think one like the tagline. Okay. One so of the other. We've one never of the... had it before. It happens, yeah. and then it just keeps out. I got it. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right. 
And it's most of the original cast. I mean, obviously Robert Shaw didn't didn't survive Jaws one, but um, yep, Roy Scheider and Lorraine Gary and the mayor and um, several other towns townspeople are also in the background, and then all their children are back. No, no Dreyfus though. Dreyfus, he was sure. making close encounters with Steven Spielberg at the time. Sure, okay, and makes sense. Of all the characters, he didn't live there and was just visiting and. Mm-hmm. They you do mention that though that, that he just he's out of range. That's why they can't talk to him. He's, okay. he's on. He, now he's on the Aurora, so he, they can't talk to him. Got it. Okay, good to know. All right. Well, then maybe I'll check it out. Is that the only sequel worth talking? I mean, the other yeah. ones just get really, really campy yeah. and cartoonishly bad, and maybe entertaining, but not. I mean, the the third one when the shark goes to Sea World is a little is a little wait weird. What? I think yeah. there is a fourth one too, where where uh, Brody or Brody's wife goes after yeah. the shark. When it follows her to the Bahamas. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's Jaws the Revenge. Yes. Yep. It's the only one I ever saw in the theaters when I, when it first came out. When I, um, I, yes, that was very disappointing when I was a, a seven year old. It was very, very disappointing. <laughs> but Jaws 2 is good. Okay. Jaws 2 is good. I'll, I'll, it's I'll worth it. it. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll check it out. You convinced me. I'm persuaded to check out Jaws 2 at some point. I, I right. had a question for you, for you gentlemen. Mm-hmm. How many people does, how many humans does Jaws kill in this movie? I was surprised. Five, I think. Joe? Five. Um, is it three? three? Four. I think it's five. Well, you okay. don't see you don't see him kill um, Ben Gardner, the guy in the boat. Oh. The guy in the boat with the corpse. I think you're yeah. supposed I, I to assume that to Jaws. Jaws kills him. But yeah, only five actual humans. And then Pippet, the dog. Yep. Oh. Pippet gets it. Pippet. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, which shocked me. Like I, I was really surprised. No, the kills are sparse and they're they're well executed. They mm-hmm. they space them out well and they're really impactful. It never reaches that we're just going to be goofy and just go over a bunch of cheap schlocky kills. It never never does that ever. Mm-hmm. Um, part of why it's great. So we're going to make a matter and you're going to feel each death. That's going to feel scary and real and awful. Yeah. Is this uh, Spielberg's best movie? Do you think? Oh, or do we want to have that debate? Is anybody up for that? Spielberg's mm. in the camp of, depending on what movie I've seen most recently, you can get me to change my mind. I've just seen Jaws. It's a perfect movie. I would say yes, but you, I could change my mind next week. I mean, Raiders, Raiders is pretty incredible. The Indiana Jones movies are especially close to home for me. I mm. love DT quite a lot. Um, and Jurassic Park is probably one or two. Dressburg has one or two flaws that probably don't make it as perfect as this, so I'd say Jaws, but it's a pretty great run between the 75, you know, for two decades at least, and probably a little longer. We saw Minority Report, which is also great, mm-hmm. so um, I'm, I'm doing him, I'm not doing it justice. Well, I'm sorry, Joe, I jumped all over that question. What What do you think? Is the no, I mean, I think biggest I Jaws fan. make a lot of good points. I think that so much of Jaws sort of happened by accident as well, that I think some of it... Uh, I don't know if you can attribute some of its success to his, I think you can actually, no, I'm going to go back on that. I think you can, can attribute a lot of the success to his quick thinking on the spot by saying, I'm going to solve these problems by doing it this way. So that's a sign of a real kind of confident director. Whereas his other movies like Raiders and uh, ET were really, I think, um, planned out really well because from, from what he learned from Jaws, I think he learned how to solve problems and plan ahead and i think storyboard a lot more from jaws so i think jaws influenced the rest of the movies he he would make going forward uh, and how he wouldn't do anything like he did on jaws again um like like you talked about it's so. crazy they didn't film this on a set like that, that they filmed this in the i mean that's just a crazy thought i can't I'm imagine the movie thought about it. It, 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 i'm gonna go to thought it would be so <laughs> but it's, so, it, According to Wikipedia, it cost nine million to make, made four hundred and seventy-two million in nineteen seventy-five, which is astounding to a think lot of about. Bucks. I mean, that must it must have just been in the theater for a year, and people just constantly saw it every weekend. To you know, the ticket prices back then were they a buck, two bucks? You know what I mean? It's insane. It was my parents' first date. Um, they saw it in a theater in Iowa. Um, oh and my! They had the, Are your parents from Iowa? Uh, they um, were were traveling through Iowa um, okay. for, if, because my mom lived down there at the time, and so he had come down to like for something, and then they went on a date and they went down there, and and their only seats that were available were in the front row center, oh. so oh they no. had to see it in the front row um, for their first date. <laughs> 
to see Jaws. So that's that's again why it's like a real family legend in my my household. So that's fascinating. I mean, yeah, this was kind. I mean, I first blockbuster is maybe. I mean, but people obviously attribute this movie to the rise of the summer blockbuster, and I think for just the reason, like. People want to see it. It's an event. We're going to all go see it. We're going to go on a date. We're all a group of, if you were in high school, I'm sure you wanted to see this movie. Everybody just wanted to see it. I'm like, oh, wow. Now we just have our, our budget for all of the movies we want to make next year. Like it's there from one movie. All we had to do is just hit one home run and we're good wow. to go. That and then Star Wars coming in a couple of years. Um, right. Just just astounding. Just but also astounding. saw Spielberg not nominated for Best Director at the Oscars, which is unbelievable. I mean, that's a miss. That's an epic miss, right, by the Academy Awards. Yep, com- completely. And, and Robert Shaw not nominated for Best Supporting <sighs> Actor, which I, I every time I watch the movie, I just I, I, tw- I put a tweet about it saying I just can't believe it didn't happen. I, I, unbelievable. We unbelievable. have to, we have to talk about Robert Shaw because I, I I need I need to discuss Robert Shaw in this movie. Um, I I think it's it's for me it's it's one of the all time person shows up in a movie and steals every minute that they're in it. I mean mm-hmm. it's it's Brando and Godfather to me. It's you know Bardem and No Country or Heath Ledger and mm-hmm. The Dark Knight. I mean Quint is. It, it, I, I could I wish there was more of him in this movie, but also there's the perfect no. amount of him the in the movie. Uh, he's every I mean to the chalkboard stuff to everything he says. It's it's per, he's perfect in this film. Yeah, I mean he is. It, yeah. The movie wouldn't work without him. Um, nobody else could pull off that monologue. It was just fantastic. Right. He 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 draws. You know, good stuff out of Roy Scheider, who can sometimes be a little, um, a little tough to to read on camera. And he also, like we talked about with with Richard Dreyfus, he he really kind of I think challenged Richard Dreyfus to to kind of break out of his sort of uh, goody two shoes mold. I think a little bit, but um, and Robert Shaw really um, played that grizzled person before, but not not to to this extent. And and all three of these men weren't Spielberg's first choice. So to think about See, that, it could have been a completely different cast. Is crazy. This is why it's yeah, just it's, it's, ever play it. It's do, historical you, do you yeah, know who the other people were that were um, mine? Um, do you do you have it? Do you have it up there? I no, I don't. I, yes. I'm asking. Um, it might be on Wikipedia. Um, uh, I it's it's totally slipping my mind now. But I think one was Sterling Hayden. I think for Quint um, uh, was uh, was Steve McQueen for one of them possibly i'm gonna say it wrong like i don't Rob, even write. robert duvall was offered the role of brody yep okay charlton heston was also interested oh um, uh, i thought sterling hayden was, was offered it but he couldn't because of tax purposes or something like that but i mean it just it, it was one of those another happy accidents that happened with a movie that just the perfect cast came together at the right time and yeah uh, it was just perfect but that that shock like he, he takes over like he's the captain of the ship right <laughs> And and he literally takes over the movie. He's the captain of the movie in a sense. And you just I, you just feel like he's in control of everything, even though he's kind of psychotic, right? He is. Like, he goes a little Captain Ahab from refu- Moby Dick towards the end. Totally. Refuses to wear life Jeff life life vest. He smashes the intercom thing, the the uh, CB radio. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he, he pushes the engine insane. way too hard and causes yeah. it to to die. Mm-hmm. Um, just goes full on lunatic mode at the end. Um, it's great though. I mean, you just see it slowly happening and he's just seeing in this shark, every shark that killed every person that was on that boat and it, where there was floating in the water by the Indianapolis. I mean, it was just, it was all there. He just put them all on that one shark and he had to get that shark and he just pushed everything else out. Um, and even like, even he gets a comedic moment when he's talking to Brody's wife, he's like, <laughs> Oh, nothing, nothing's happened yet. No worries. We're glad, you know, what's up to report. And then he just hangs up just full on, just, giving your whole load of bull and just so he can stay out here and hunt sharks with his kind of new buddies. Um, well, it's, it's superb. Um, I, I it, yeah, I mean, point out Roy Schrader, that that's a really interesting one. Cause he's almost, everybody else is kind of a, a foil to him. He's this weird every man, but um, I don't know. I guess I think he really works. I mean, just even when he's pouring the wine that Hooper brings him and he just pours it in like the dinner glass and just fills it a whole way. You're going to let that breathe. <laughs> I just, nope. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's a that's a great scene too, where his his wife, all, his wife is you know, is, you know, Martin doesn't like the water. It's, it's he has that. What do you think? What's it called? It's the thing, and then he goes drowning. <laughs> right? yes. uh, I mean, it's just in that scene. It's I mean, I love Roy Scheider. I think he's great in the movie, and he's great in the the sequel. Um, he doesn't get a lot of credit because I think Robert Shaw um, um, overshadows him, and Richard Dreyfuss also kind oh, of has oh, those, yeah. those moments. But Roy Scheider really anchors <laughs> that movie um, pretty 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 well and i also you know to go, go away from the men for a second the, lorraine gary as his oh. wife is also really great she was the wife of the the head of universal studios so a lot of people thought that she was kind of cast with some you know nepotism but right she's, she's very good in this movie i, and I love the she's pitch perfect their relationship has a drunk, lot of natural chemistry yeah you want to get drunk and fool around i, yeah. love, I love that part it's, it's right. great everything yeah. yeah she has all these little little great moments and then you see them communicating and giving him grief for his horrible boston accent that he tried to give i mean just just great yep. um and we still get time to like learn just why he moved when he's drunk with richard Dreyfus. we get to learn why he moved it's not a huge part it's not integral to the plot but it makes us understand and like his character more okay he felt like he was making no headway in new york but hey i can be in shop of this little island and make a difference and then he's actually out there making a difference despite the fact that he's scared shitless because he's scared of the water and there's a yep. big massive great white that's wants to murder apparently everything you know in the water uh this is great again this is the we love jaws podcast yeah i mean i don't have any criticisms no, do either of you have a, any, is there anything no. you'd criticize about the movie no uh, not a single thing i was saying that there's not a single part of this that i don't think is great and works super well with the rest of the movie the only part I, 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 the only part I always kind of that always trips me up is when Hooper's doing the autopsy and he holds up the hand. It always looks like a like a mannequin hand to me. And I and I it there seems to be like a weird cut in it where he's talking about something and then he just goes, This is what happens. And it's like it it's a weird cut for me. That's the only thing when you go back and watch it, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just it's a weird cut that I know that it, there's a there's extra there's an extra scene that they had to cut out because I think it had some gore in it that maybe that's what for an r but um it's the only thing weird it does not take away that it's a perfect movie but if we're if we're gonna nitpick about something it's the only thing when i ever watch it i go oh that i don't i still don't understand it but something of the hand did look fake but i like that we didn't see the autopsy i mean we oh, just totally see richard drivers reacting to it and i thought we wouldn't see anything and then he's like oh they showed us the hand okay part, part of that scene my glasses too you can see a reflection in his glasses a little oh. bit it's, it's, again spielberg it's brilliant you just you, you get in also him like taking a breath in you you understand the the severity of what he's seen yeah yeah it's is acting right it was like oh he's this is maybe one of the worst things he's ever seen part of that doesn't say that but you feel that i was gonna say part of that scene that i i guess i hadn't really picked up on is the other guy there is actually the medical examiner the one that said it was a boat accident like i i never made that connection that it, you know, there's Dreyfus kind of looks at this was no boating accident. Yeah, he gives him some side eye. Right, like, like, like come on, man, like you're you, not stupid. You know, you this know wasn't this. a boating accident, like. Well, but I, I well, guess I never made the connection that that was the actual medical examiner that ruled it as a boating accident. Right, or they say, "Let me see the remains," and then they take like um a, a, like a Tupperware container out with her remains in it, and he's like, "This is the remains of the boating accident." So. Again, those little details when when you get to watch it so many times that so you can start to pick to pick out, um, you know, like little Easter eggs for for the fans after all these years. Oh yeah, it's right. the gift that keeps giving. Um, Holy. Does anybody have anything else we could should we jump to our ratings on the movie? I assume we can. Our very guess. unsurprising <laughs> yeah. ratings. I mean, should we just do one, two, three, and then say five at the same time? Can I, one, can I do it two, as Robert three. Shaw? Five. Five. One, five. two, three. Five out of five. 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 Yeah, five out of five. This is, I can be sure we can get to that. That's easy. Yeah, no I know. It's five stars. It's perfect. And yeah, if you haven't seen it and you've listened to all this, please watch it. It's great. You'll be scared. You'll be happy. You'll be sad. You'll laugh. It'll be everything all in once. It's great. Absolutely. Um, okay, so our, our little gimmick that we have on our podcast here is this five degrees of field of dreams. Joe, as our guest, uh, do you have you know five five connections you want to make to to Jaws and Field of Dreams? 
five, not five of them. Um, or, or any anything you got, any connections sure. that you want to get in. If you want to talk about the movies that you've used to connect, feel free. Um, let me see. Um, you could do. Um, let's do Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw was in um, uh, From Russia with Love with Sean Connery. Uh, James Bond movie and Sean Connery was in that really bad version of the Avengers with um, Uma Thurman. Um, uh, which is what I, when the new Avengers movie came out, I thought they were remaking that one because I knew nothing about the Marvel comic books at that time. Um, those <laughs> now that those are at the 10 year anniversary. Um, and then Uma Thurman was in um, a movie called Jennifer eight with um andy garcia which is a kind of a murder mystery thriller from the early 90s that i i particularly enjoy it's kind of underseen um andy garcia was in the untouchables with kevin costner and kevin costner is in field of dreams amazing uh i can go uh, i, I yeah. can jump in uh i also started with robert shaw again love him in this movie i can't even say it enough i know my accent's bad if you're listening to this in here my accent's really bad i know that don't 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 think it's like that it's a billion times better than what eric's saying in my in my head it sounds perfect i don't know what you guys are talking about but uh uh he's in a movie called uh man for all seasons about henry the oscar winner 1966 yeah it's a great movie um uh also in the movies john hurt He's in a movie. I've never seen it. It's a Jim Jarmusch movie called Only Lovers Left. You guys, either of you Is that the vampire one? Yeah. Only Lovers Left Alive? Yeah. Yeah, I've never oh, seen only, it, but yeah, I'm vaguely aware of it. I have mm-hmm. not seen that. Tom Hiddleston is in that, I think. Doesn't he play the lead in that? Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton's in that. She's in Snowpiercer, Bong Joon-ho movie, which I really oh, yeah. enjoy. Mm-hmm. And Ed Harris is in that, and he does the voice in Field of Dreams. So Nice. That's how I did it. All right. Um, I So I wanted to go with Lorraine Gary. I didn't really know what else she was in. Um, mm. So I, I ended up hopping to Jaws the Revenge, a movie that I'm now finding out is about. I knew <laughs> only I knew about Jaws the Revenge is I knew it was shot in the Bahamas and Michael Caine took the gig because he was getting paid to hang out in the Bahamas, basically. And that's why he did it. Um, but I went with Michael Caine because he's in it. I don't know what he does or who he plays, but Michael Caine is in The Man Who Would Be King with Sean Connery, a movie I haven't seen, but is very much on my list about a couple of uh, ex-British soldiers in the late 1800s who uh, try to be, tell people they're gods and try to become kings of a tribe in Afghanistan and have them attack people and take the riches. And it's a, a satire of colonialism directed by John Huston. So that's that's on my to see list. And uh, Sean Connery's in The Untouchables. Um, with Kevin Costner, who is in Field of Dreams. That's awesome. Favorite. So uh, our next movie that we're doing, we have a guest. And what we've been kind of doing lately is we do a little trivia to reveal the movie. So mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll run through kind of five clues. Feel free, Joe, to, to jump in if you know the movie. Guess it. Uh, and, uh, you know, after I do the five clues, I assume you'll get it before then. Okay. But um, I'll let you know what it is. All right. Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Clue number one. Uh, Quentin Tarantino once said this is one of his three favorite films that he would take to a desert island. Okay. No guess? Definitely. No. Uh, number two. The main character is working post-production on a low-budget slasher film titled Coed Frenzy. Okay. Uh, number three, the film takes place and was filmed in Philadelphia. No. Is is it Blowout? Blowout is correct. Oh, from 1966? Uh, no, that's Blow Up. This Ah. is the Brian De Palma. Uh, I think it's kind of a remake of that, right? If my understanding is correct. Yeah, sort of, sort of, yeah, sort of, kind of, you know, what Brian De Palma does, his kind of little take on it, everything. It's a, it's a really good movie. Okay, so I've seen the '66 blow up, but not seen blow out. So, all right, yeah. awesome. So, oh. yeah, that, that's what we're watching next week. Uh, 
the De Palma film Blowout. What are the other two clues? Uh, the other the clue number four was connected to an audio recording, mm-hmm. and then the last clue was directed by Brian De Palma. Awesome. So. Well, I'm glad you were here, Joe. I would not have gotten it even with those five clues. I would really, you would you would have been stumped all the way through number five. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known. I mean, that's not one of the Brian De Palma's films I'm I'm familiar with. Um, so I wouldn't have wouldn't have known. Well, unless uh, Joe, anything else you want to say about Jaws before we call it call it a night? I think we really we really did a nice dive into Jaws. So thank you for uh, thank you for sharing in the joy of it with me. Absolutely. So oh. mnmovieman.com is yep. where folks can get your reviews. Is, does Banana Meter have its own site where you can actually like get get all your reviews on there as well? Yep, Banana Meter has their, their site on there, and there's also a link to it from my my Twitter uh, on there, and there's, it's also linked on my my webpage. So it's all it's all there too. Awesome. Well, farewell and adieu, you fair <laughs> Spanish ladies. Farewell, Farewell, ladies of Spain, for we received our orders to sail back to Boston, and never more shall we see you again. I didn't even want to sing along with it. It was so good. I was going to (laughs) join in, and I was like, no, I want to let him finish. It was so good. I want to join in there as, oh, boy, I'm going to butcher the words, so I better stop. So I tried, and then bam. What's the other song? Uh, I'm tired, and I want to go to bed. Show me the way to go home. Show me the way to go home. Tired I have a little go. drink about an hour ago. It's got right to my head. Sounds like a really great drinking song. Yes. Like, why have I never sung that drunk before? <laughs> well, thanks again, Joe. And thanks everybody so else, thanks for listening. Go check out Blowout and uh, take it easy. Happy 4th of July if you're listening to this. Then. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>